to the 72nd episode of Everyday Journal. Tonight we got a special guest again. We got Kalen Smith from the United States of... No, fuck, I blew that. From oh Great my Britain, God. actually from... <laughs> wow. I, I was going to go that. for the... I was gonna go for the United Kingdom and the the um, England, and then that turned to the. You know where you're from. You're from London, right? Kevin? I'm How's from it going? London. Yes, uh, very good. Thank you. Very good. Thanks for having me on again. Awesome. And with us tonight, as usual, is Eric as well. Eric, I think you just finished your stream. How's it going, man? It's going well. Yes, I did. Things are going good. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm getting ready for the trade fair. I'm gonna leave tomorrow for the the big diving trade fair, where we basically we get something like fifteen percent of our revenue in just five days. And oh. afterwards, I'm <laughs> super exhausted. So even though it's going to be fun, I'm also feeling like, oh, dude, no, this is coming up again. But, yeah. will, will there be lions there? Uh, at the trade fair? I highly doubt it. Okay. I'm just, I'm just looking out for you. Sounds dangerous. It's very kind of you. Um, <laughs> there, there's actually, you know how in, in uh, Nairobi, they have the national park, the Nairobi National Park, right next to the city, which is incredibly unique. If you think about it, it's like a city of a couple million and they have a national cool. park right next to it. Hopefully they're locked up safe. Uh, so, yeah, uh, so the lions actually sometimes walk into the city. And they Jeez. usually they, they stay only there for like a day. Uh, but okay. I think a year or two ago we had two roaming around and eventually leaving again. They were going like on a day trip. Let's go to city. Nairobi. We should go to Nairobi. I mean, it's, it's former British territory. I guess they would love you. Kind of. mm-hmm, or true. maybe not actually. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I'm not sure that's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I guess we should bring that up as well. In case you're wondering, somebody actually paid the buyout clause for Bob's contract. So Bob is has been on Everyday Channel for I think almost over three years at this point. But yeah, we we had Anorak come in and how do you say? Just steal them from us for a ton of money. Actually, that's a lie. Wasn't it just a piece of cheese, I think? No, the, the real story is we had to kick Bob because we wanted to discuss Oko and he like stifled the discussion and said Oko was unplayable. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the last straw. <laughs> yeah, he got eaten by a lion in Nairobi. <laughs> Wait, he, he did what? He got eaten by a lion in Nairobi, I heard. Um, I, I don't know if the lions would actually eat the humans. They just kill them and then they, they walk along and they're like, okay, now I can live in peace again. Rest in peace, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you should definitely check it out. He's he's uh, together with Anurag and Daniel Gatchel. They're doing what's it called? Elo Pantas, not Elo Hunters. That was the first one. Uh, yeah, they're doing Elo Pantas. Really great podcast. I really like the first episode. And yeah, check them out. I think they should be on the big platforms soonish. They already are available on Twitter. I actually don't, but I guess if you if you Google uh, if you search for Elo Pantas, you will find them. So check them out. Um, they're great. And tonight, we we already talked to Caleb. Unfortunately, he can't bring his dog um, into his room to bark to give us a good Bob impression. But uh, it's, it's going to be great anyway. Because tonight, we are actually going to talk about the hottest deck in Legacy right now, which is Blue-Green Omnital. But before we go into that, uh, let's actually introduce Caleb a little bit more than just the... Uh, He's more than a dog owner from London. Caleb, you've been on the show before. You actually, I just mentioned it uh, in the pre-talk, that you were on our Phoenix episode, our Grixis Phoenix episode, which was one of our most listened to episodes ever last year. Yeah, that's very cool to hear, actually. Um, was it about last year? I can't remember exactly when. That was a really, ex- really exciting time because the deck was new and it was really just something that I'd completely brewed up from scratch. And uh, Phoenix had kind of been making an impression in modern, but yeah, it was cool to have something new and eric just now as well before we started put it in a very interesting way that it was people were so excited about it in legacy because 
it was actually like a new card doing something. And it wasn't so common to have a new card making such an impression in the format at that time. Now we've been completely spoiled to death, really, by all these new cards, which, yeah, I think no introduction needed for Oko and friends. And speaking of Oko, Oko actually got banned, right? And Moran, Oko, Mox, Opera and Lattice. Yeah, had to huge go. changes today. How do you guys feel about that? Uh, I think the, the reactions on Twitter have been largely positive about it. Do you agree? Yeah, um, I'm absolutely excited that Oko's gone. That card needed to go. It just, I mean, it's the same in Legacy, really, but maybe the, the power level is okay to keep it for a while or maybe ever. The gameplay is just very boring. Turning everything into a 3-3, it all trades. It's, it's like a lot of the answers for Planeswalkers come in creature form. This is probably things that everyone is kind of familiar with already, but it, the play patterns it, it had was just not fun. And it, it's an answer. It's a threat. It's cheap. Yeah, it was, it was too hard. And the the um, I think they cited the Urza decks had a, at least a 55% win rate versus everything non-mirror. And it boasted like a favorable matchup against nine other ten other top decks. So that was a bit much. Mox Opal was like in the supporting cast of the deck. I'm kind of sad about this one because... I think the Urza and Mox Opal decks previous to Oko were pretty interesting. Like They had a few different engines. There was different ways of building it. There was Thopter Foundry. There was um, more prison builds. There was Paradoxal Outcome. So I would have loved to have left Mox Opal for a bit longer, but maybe it just had to go at some point. So a bit sad about that. Uh, Mike said the Lattice. I don't think anyone saw this coming, but personally, I find the card miserable. It's like obviously just a two-card combo with Khan. And it's a lot of mana, but the decks playing this generate a lot of mana with Tron lands and stuff. So, I don't know. I'm pretty happy with this. I think they must have had more reasons than just bad play patterns because it was played in the Tron decks. And I think they must have seen high win rates from Eldrazi Tron and normal Tron alongside Urza that they thought that they need to knock those down if Urza's not down as well. So, yeah, pretty happy overall, but Mox Opal, rip. Yeah, that's what I heard people saying too, that they were like uh, a little disappointed that Mox Opal got the ban because there were some not so egregious decks that played Mox Opal and now are unplayable. Yeah, it's similar to Faith's Looting, really. It's like it was a pillar. And so by knocking Looting because of Phoenix, like decks like Mardu Pyromancer and stuff got the axe. I don't know. I feel like some Urza decks can definitely survive. There'll be other things. The card's really powerful. It's just obviously heavy, heavily neutered down. Kind of similar to how Dredge is existing without Looting. I think there'll be Urza decks, but. Yeah, it's a shame to lose all the other kind of things like Cheerios. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I saw people like Bemoan, Pure Steel, Paladin, <laughs> and a couple of other decks. Yeah. I think the big one is Affinity, even though that hasn't really been. Scales deck, like, pretty much late. supplanted that. Uh, what I yeah. find interesting. Scales, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I find interesting is that. Wizards now very openly and heavily relies on stats. They, they might have used Magic Online stats before, but now they also like openly address them. And they uh, a metric they often cite that was also cited for the Ban of Renan 6 was having a good matchup against 9 out of the 10 most played decks, which apparently is, is a thing they, they measure and look into very heavily. And I mean, that's pretty crazy, right? If you think about that, like if, if you told me my deck was not only like even but favored against 9 out of the 10 most played decks, that's an insane position, and that's surely going to show over over a long period of time. And I think just this weekend they also had, I think, thirteen Oko decks in the top, basically in the two top eights of the weekend of the GP and some big SCG tournament, which is kind of crazy. And I guess part of that is always um, also a little bit of hype where people play a ton of the card, but uh, over in the long run, 
I think we can, all can agree that banning Oko is probably for the better. Uh, but yeah, shame, shame for Moxapar. And like you mentioned, letters, that, there must be some internal data, and I think nothing, not much is lost there. You can still play your Karns as opposed to, I guess, Mox Opal. Um, you just don't have the, the I win button in letters, which overall should probably be a change for the better. Yeah, I, I don't think they had the Khan Lattice kind of lock in mind when they designed Khan. Like the card is already super pushed, and it's going to be more interesting now because it is just kind of like a tutor thing slash soft hate rather than actual win con at the same time. So, yeah, I'm yeah. excited to see if it still does stuff. I mean, you get you, you can still get a win con. It's just not as it's definite. You can get like yeah, so you can search for like a, a worm coil. Yeah, exactly. But it's just not a lockout. I mean. The, the Tron decks can just like kind of trade resources, then top deck it. They'll have 10 mana, but a lot of time they can top deck it. And I don't know, people cited that you can attack the card and stuff, which, yes, true, but it's not really how all the games played out. So, yeah, I completely agree with what Julian said. No love lost. Does that actually impact your preparation for GP Brussels? I think that's, that's like in a week or two or three. Yeah, that's um, in. I think you're going, right? Yeah. Oh, no, that's Pioneer. I'm so stupid. Yes, that, yeah. That's Pioneer. That's not modern. No. Well, they, they, in the announcement, they did have a pioneer section at the end, saying that they're pretty happy with where the format is, and there's there's not going to be any uh, bans until after the first few events. So we can probably like lock in. Are you happy with where the format is? Yeah, it's a little bit too mid rangey. Like a lot of the decks are fair, Ooh. and one of the deck doing that sounds good. It, it is good. The games are kind of it's mid rangey, but they have a lot of snowboardy cards, so it's it's good. I enjoy playing it. It's it's pretty fun, and like. For, for, an, for an example, the best one of the best decks coming out like the last week or two has been the five color Niv Mizzet deck. It put what? Yeah, are you kidding me? No, uh, Nassif made it on stream recently. I think some people have probably played it before, but to not that much success. But the uh, challenge on Saturday, is that like a meme deck? No, no. The challenge on Saturday, three of the top four decks were Niv Mizzet, and there was four <laughs> in the top eight. <laughs> So what makes it so good? So it goes over to top of all the mid range. Exactly. So it plays all the powerful like, multicolored cards and the. The mana's okay because you have Traverse, the Elven World, and Sylvan Carried and stuff. And uh, you also have Bring to Light, which searches for niv So it's very consistent in finding niv And then, yeah, it's 5-mana, 6-6 six, six Flyer that draws 3-5 to five cards, I guess. So, yeah, it's exactly how you say. Yeah. goes over the top of everything else. Kind of crazy. Whoa. So I've got my eye on that for Brussels as well. So <laughs> we'll see. Awesome, man. Um, the reason we invited you today is because you've actually also been... Well, as of yesterday, been working on the deck that Eric and I have spent a lot of time with uh, lately, Blue-Green Omnitel. And you actually had a pretty good finish yesterday. Can you tell us about that? Indeed. I have a huge uh, sample size under my belt now. Uh, how many was it actually? Of like one Legacy Challenge? Uh, ten matches. <laughs> yes. So yesterday I played in the Legacy Challenge and I came second, um, which was very nice. Which was to toot my own horn, back-to-back top eights, which was, uh, I played Hogak the week before. But... Uh, to be completely honest, it'd been a deck I've had my eye on for a while, thanks to you and Eric working on it, and also Peter Vanderham. He'd been working on it for a while as well and posting about it. And it just looks super powerful, right? The deck always kind of suffered from having no good two drops in a sense. You'd have the cantrips, but you have no way of bridging that into show and tell. So to me, Ice Fan Quartal looks like a really good addition to the deck. Veil of Summer is just insane. It plays so well in the deck. It's maybe one of the maybe the best uh, veil of summer decks because you just play it proactively and it's like extra show and tells if they don't counter that then you can just go off if they do well you're trading it for usually a force because you can play it around counter magic very often so it's just it's just really hard for the opposing blue decks to interact with 
So the list I played was I got home 15 minutes before the challenge started. And I didn't want to play Hogek, as I said. I wanted to play something that's good against Hogek because the deck's been quite popular recently. So I pulled up, I think it was Peter's list first, copy and pasted it into MTGO and then found your list and then just kind of made changes based on both of them together. And the end result was making both of yours worse, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I was really impressed by it because I probably made some mistakes as well, but the shell is so powerful. So Awesome, man. So we're going to talk about the details of the lists and all the different lists that have been floating, floating around in a moment. You already touched on some of the, the USPs, I guess we would say, the unique setting points of the deck, like what really makes it all that great. For example, Vale of Summer. Um, speaking for me, that was the main reason that drew me to the deck. I felt like, okay, this might actually be the deck that abuses Vale of Summer the most, because the thing about all these show and tell decks, they... I wouldn't even say they were like weak to counter magic, but counter magic plus this card, or this card in general was something that was somewhat hard to recover from. And now you got a single green one mana instant that counters both of those and also like protects you from some other weird stuff like like certain types of combo decks. I even I think I, I countered a grindstone activation the other day. I, I don't know whether they actually got to the point, but I would have had the Veil of Summer and if they have the Paint Down Blue. So it, it has a lot of applications. And playing four of those in the main deck, that's actually really great. Uh, Eric, is that also what drew you towards the deck, or how, how did you come about? I think you actually boss, you were the first one of us to play the deck. Well, I've been playing Omnitel. It was actually my very first Legacy deck was Omnitel. Um, so I've been playing Omnitel for a really long time, and I've had it in my repertoire of decks since then, especially since I've started streaming. I, I often just play Omnitel if I don't can't figure out what to play and I don't want to play Reanimator, um, because... Yeah, I, I like it. I, I like it better than Sneak and Show. At least for me, I always found at least I could. I, I found that I could win more with it. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it was better than Sneak and Show, but just like personal playstyle and stuff, I found sneak attacks and and uh, ancient tombs to just deal so much damage and be so clunky that I had a hard hard time winning with it, despite it having more win conditions than Omnitel. That's kind of where I originally was drawn to it. Is it was my first Legacy deck, and and I've just had more success with it historically than sneak and show um but then recently veil of summer was printed and actually teferi was printed and as soon as they printed that i put together a list with that as the as the uh second secondary win condition you know in heavy quotes because it has to be countered right or you don't get to fight yeah. counter wars so i tried that and it was pretty good i did pretty well and people played it a little bit but it, it wasn't insanely better than than it was before Teferi came out. And then same thing with Veil vale of Summer when that came out. I was like, well, we should probably just try try that. And uh, somebody did a donation deck on my stream and they asked how many Veil vale of Summers we should play in the main instead of, or if we should cut some spell pierces for Veil vale of Summers. And I, I was just thinking we should probably cut all the spell pierces for Veil vale of Summer because it's, <laughs> it's, it's better at fighting counter wars than anything else is. So it's better than Flusterstorm. Uh, it does have some dead matchups, but... But honestly, like, Omnitel is the games are all about fighting and winning counter wars. And that's what that card does really, really well. So if it's dead in the matchup you're playing, that means you're going to win because you're playing Omnitel. <laughs> that's exactly what I got to as well. It's I played against, like, Chalice X three or four times yesterday. And, yeah, I drew Veil a couple of times. But then that meant I get to well, cast Show and Tell into Munitions without a Force of Will on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that, that that's the one thing, right? That people usually bring up when they see it for, for the first time. How can you play four dead cards in a matchup? But if you think about it strategically, you you, you actually almost want to play those decks where Bail is dead because then the rest of the deck that you're playing is even better. Yeah, you're hard, you're hard targeting some of your like tougher matchups, which are the counter magic matchups, and especially discard as well. I find is better against Omnitel than the usual sneak and show version. So, and it's not necessarily always dead if they're playing Chalice. But I had a game today where my opponent put a Chalice on three, and I cast Veil of Summer <laughs> and <Yes>. Show and Tell. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a really nice trick. Like it comes up quite a lot with Storm when they put a Chalice on zero. You cast Veil and then you just throw all the LEDs into it. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 that's that's pretty sick. Yeah. That kind of is insane if you think about it. it you, you guys think Veil is here to stay, or is it actually gonna? Like, I don't want to go too deep into that discussion, but yeah. I, I, you think it's here to stay? I don't. It's it's hard to say. There's this like trifecta of Oko, Veil, and Astrolabe, and I think all three of them have pretty good arguments to be banned. But I don't think all three need to be banned, and I think knocking off one of them will affect the other two in some ways. So. I have no idea which one it should be, but as as time goes on, Veil just does more and more things in more and more decks, and it's yeah, it, it's a lot better than everyone first thought. And Julian, I remember you were like one of the first people to really say this card is insane. You were posting in chats before it even came out, saying this this thing is crazy. I'm going to play like three and elves at least, like, but it should go in other decks. And now it's the classic case of <laughs> a non-blue card made to fight blue is just played in blue decks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, blue just like scoops up everything that's yeah. printed that that's generally good in the format, and especially if it's good against other blue decks because that's like fifty percent of what they are fighting. Um, I, I think I had posted about that on on tw- Twitter a couple of weeks or months ago, where I feel like uh, unless you print something that's heavily committed to different colors, but then again, do you have Renin Six, right? And I thought a Renin Six would finally break this mold. I thought it was actually going to just go into like Naya or Agro Loman stuff, but no, Jewel ends up. And brainstorm are really good. Yeah, at that point you, you're asking for designs that are very like unelegant, so something like. I was gonna say, okay, you can only cast this if you control a basic forest, but they are playing basic forest now. So, <laughs> but let's not get into yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> Before we get into the details of blue green omni talent, why the deck is so good, I, I just want to get a couple of general thoughts um, on the deck as well. We already talked about the power of whale. Mm-hmm. Something I also really like about the deck is that that has drawn me to the deck is how it really punishes, I want to say, a lot of the decks that are being played right now, all these mid-range controlly decks like Focala Miracles, um, even the, the, the checkpile decks, even though they at least they have this card, and there's a ton of dead cards against this kind of deck. Like, we don't really care about the, the creature removal, there's almost no Planeswalkers that we really care about, I guess the, the three mana Teferi can be annoying, but, like, Oko's, o- Oko almost does nothing except maybe if you show and tell like a naked Emrakul into play, and then they try to oak it. But even then, if you have the Veil, <laughs> that, I guess that's good. Yeah, Veil is everything. You also take heavy advantage of um, the, uh, those opponents not having any kind of clock, really. Like in the past, their clock used to be something like Teferi drawing extra cards, which basically meant you, you will never be able to catch up, and that was their quote-unquote clock. But with so many dead cards in the deck, even after sideboarding, um, I think that's, that's not some, something we worry too much about anymore. And we also have a ton of must counters. You, Caleb already mentioned, if you have show and tell in hand, then you basically got four additional copies of show and tell in your deck that cost a single green. And the longer the match goes, you can even hardcast some of your other win conditions, <laughs> which has happened to me a couple <laughs> yeah, of times. Yeah, we can get to that soon. I had some fun ones yesterday. Yeah, I, I, I bet. What, what did you hardcast? 
I guess this is like jumping straight into the sideboard, but Carbon of Flowers is also one of the most punishing cards for any blue matchups. I got to hardcast Grizzlebrand in one match with because they had four islands, and against Miracles, I got to hardcast the Firemind's Foresight and stuff because it just makes any color, it makes everything. Just hardcast all the spells. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, let's let's share a couple of those stories um, <laughs> later on. And a third thing that I, I put in our Google Doc that I noticed about the deck, there's actually not that many hate bears that really punish you. Like, the deck, it's not that hard to run through Gadok Teak. Like, Thalia is definitely annoying. I would actually maybe... Is Thalia the most annoying hate bear? Um, uh, we, we can, if we go back to my challenge yesterday, I actually lost the finals to Esper Hate Bears. Uh, very, very, very cool deck, which is just played by one guy called Jeff online, mostly. But he has four main net medley mages, so... Uh, that one proves. Yeah, Metal Mage sounds like a like a tough thing to beat yeah. in a deck that's heavily dedicated to casting show and tell. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's not seen much play outside of that. So I think after that, I would say that yeah, Metal Mage is the um, Thalia. Sorry, is the most annoying hate there, yeah. but it's still perfectly beatable yeah. as well. Like again, you mentioned like the lack of clock from a lot of decks, and it's just Delver that really punishes you fast sometimes. Otherwise, you can just play very slowly, and you can just take chunks of two and four damage or whatever while you set up show and tell into omniscience and just cast emrakul it's <laughs> not a very fun combo but it does the job certainly something that i noticed that i just remembered when you mentioned how the clock of a lot of decks is very slow i've talked about this i think on twitter a couple of days ago where i feel like this format is as slow as it has been in a very very long time like the last time i felt like this was when mental misstep was around in like early mid 2011 when people played decks like Natural Order Rock. Actually, Eric, I think I talked about this on the last or the, pre or the previous episode or something. It was the last. Where I felt like Natural Order Rock could become a deck again. And now we actually saw uh, Barra Mark Koenig finish top four in the former championships on Magic Online the, the other week. And that's a super interesting deck. I'm definitely going to link it in the show notes. Uh, maybe, maybe we can have a more dedicated segment to that deck. Because that's exactly what I was thinking could be viable in Legacy right now. Because there's not really much going on in in terms of aggro which i guess has already been like has already struggled for quite a while in legacy but there's i think like even the delver decks have become a bit more mid-rangey i feel except for i guess blue red delver just making a comeback i think you can very easily pinpoint this to the byproduct of oko being in the format because he punishes aggro so hard he gains life he he shrinks creatures a lot of the time so you're really seeing oko not only be bad against this deck this is why the deck is so strong i think it's bad against this deck the effect he's having on the format is it's slowing it down, as you're describing. So uh, the decks are just slower, and then they're having to incorporate more grindy elements to try and grind through Okos. So the format is just more fair, slower, and that's exactly what this kind of deck wants to feast on. So I wouldn't be surprised that as long as Oko is one of the top cards in the format, this kind of deck is just going to flourish. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I also today played Infect and... Because I noticed that was seeing some more play, and people were putting Oko in that, and may, maybe I thought maybe that's why it was seeing play and seeing some results. But I think it's more based on what you were just saying. Because when I played it today, the Oko was very underwhelming. I don't think the deck wants to play Oko, but I do think yeah. the deck's pretty good, and I think it's because it's one of the few decks that can get away with trying to be aggressive. That makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. the life gain from the food from Oko is just irrelevant, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I guess it's annoying if they if they elk your creature, but they I guess they can't really elk your land, and <laughs> maybe the deck plays plays whale of some of themselves. I'm sure it does. Did, did yeah. you actually play whale? In, in, in fact, I, I played it today. Yeah, 
Uh, so Veil, but generally I think Oko is just kind of slow against Infect. It's a three mana sorcery speed answer to one creature, which is definitely not True. something that that Infect is really all that scared of. It's basically worse than something like Petrify or or, or rather like Pulse, Maelstrom Pulse. Yeah. Okay, so with that out of the way um, and the the stage set for what is the meta game looking like, why do we think the deck is good? Let's actually get into the current build or builds of blue green Omnitile. So we're first going to talk about the more common one that has been floating around that has been showing up, and afterwards we're going to talk about a couple of changes that Eric has been playing with lately to great success. I think I'm just going to start straight with the combo. If you want to see the exact deck list, you can see it on the website. We're going to link it there. And probably all over the internet <laughs> right now. So basically, it's a four show and tile deck, four omniscience, two Emrakul, one Grizzlebrand, two to three copies of Cunning Wish, and then usually between one, uh, zero or one Eureka. Eureka is the um, two colorless, two green one that basically lets you put anything into play. And, and your opponent as well, which is unfortunate. <laughs> so protection, unfair. you play. Yeah, so unfair. And so uh, the card's probably really expensive. I don't. I didn't even check, but I, I would think so. I believe it's just under four hundred dollars. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I remember when I saw the cards like many years ago, and I thought like this card looks so goofy. Maybe I'm just gonna buy a copy for like twenty euros because it looks so fun. <laughs> but yeah, look at that now. Yeah. So for the rest of the list, you play four Whale of Summer and four of Will, uh, four Force of Will as protection, and your utility suite is basically for brainstorm, for ponder, two to three Periodain. Two to three drawn from dreams, one tuition, um, usually one impulse for Firemind's Foresight, and then people sometimes also play a Sylvan Library in the main. And in the standard build, at least, you play between three and four Ice Fang Kotal. Um, and for the mana base, it's pretty straightforward. You play six basic lands, four islands, two forests, even though people sometimes just play a single forest, one tropical island, four Vista. Uh, what's it called? Prismatic Vista, four Misty Rainforest, and then one other Blue Fetch, which always felt a little weak to me. One Mystic Sanctuary, which allows you to put Show and Tell on top, but also does something else. Um, I guess we're going to get into that in a moment. And then just two copies of two City of Traitors. Uh, no Ancient Tombs in the list. The, the life loss is kind of problematic. But let's start with the actual combo engine. Uh, I think four Show and Tell, four Omniscience is kind of a given in the deck. How do you guys feel about the creature suites? Uh, people have been asking, why don't you play more Grizzlebrands? Why don't you play like three Emrakul? Or I got my reasons, even though I, I blindly picked up the list and then got to appreciate this configuration. But yeah, Callum, how, how do you feel about that? My reasoning was you had this number, so I just copied you completely. I have, I have no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. look at us like being all smart on the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll be completely honest. I have, I didn't know the reasoning so i just copied you i know peter had two and two you had two emerald and grizzle brown so it's like yeah wrong with that they both kind of win the game so i think emerald is probably a bit better than the deck because showing it in usually beats like a huge percentage of decks but i'll, I'll let you explain it because i don't really know to be honest <laughs> so yeah so my reasoning after having played with it that so i'm basically retroactively justifying it because i felt like that that worked out really well is most of the time you want to cast an Emrakul if you have the omniscience in play. And if you play two Emrakul and one Grizzlebrand, you can usually like get the one Grizzlebrand through, uh, what's it called? Drawn from Or two down the sideboard. Oh, uh, Eldamri's Call or the Shed Summons. Eldamri's Call, exactly. Yeah. And then if you... Like, there's there's these scenarios, right, where, where you need yeah. to attack for 20 in the air. And if you just get Emrakul, you might... Like, I've, been, I've had games where I cast Emrakul into omniscience 
and they just sacrifice like a couple of random permanents and then they kill me with um, what they have left. And in those scenarios, I, I kind of want Grizzlebrand into Emrakul just so I can actually kill them in a single swing. That makes sense. Whereas if I play two Grizzlebrand and one Emrakul, it could be a little harder to find the Emrakul. But once again, like this state, this at least from my side, very few of those numbers are super set in stone, but this has felt like, quite good this far. Of course, the downside is if you only have show and tell plus a creature, you probably always want um, Grizzlebrand instead of Emrakul, except for a couple of corner case scenarios. So if, if you if you're looking for a quick show and tell, um, well, I guess if you get it in the first or second turn, and unless they have like a chase that they can somehow get into play or or have a caracast, then it doesn't really matter too much. But that has been my reasoning. Eric, have you been running the same configuration of creatures? Or yeah, you, I have. So I can kind of do my best to explain why I think this is the the, the creature package. Basically, Omnitel can get away with playing just an Emrakul, one Emrakul. You can play one Emrakul, and that's it, and that's fine. But I also have two Gristlebrands and an Emrakul, and I hadn't touched this deck in over a month. And I'm pretty sure that I came up with this creature package by looking at JPA's Eureka Tell lists, where he was playing more Eurekas, and I think the creature package was something like two Gristlebrands and two Emrakuls, something like that. So that was because of Eureka. So you're casting Eureka, you want more things to put in, more win conditions than just Omniscience. Like, Omnitel historically didn't play Eureka, it just played blue and it would cast show and tell and put in on omniscience and then use wishes and cantrips to win and you really only need one emrakul but you could also play three emrakuls because then you can intuition for the emrakuls to find them but really you have played so many cantrips especially with drawn from dreams now you're going to be able to find your emrakul but the gristle brands are better to put in off show and tell with no omniscience so i think that's why they're still there but i I do think it mostly just comes because jpa was playing that creature package or close to that creature package in a eureka tell deck i'm pretty sure that's where it came from okay so so it's that that's the actual origin except for like me trying to retroactively piece something together so so you're saying that there might be a world where people should just play three emrakul no i don't think so i think you if you're i i think with shared summons you want at least one emrakul and one gristlebrand I, I think that that actually might be enough, too. But the extra Gristlebrand, I think, is to have an extra thing to put on that's import, or impactful to put in off of uh, early show-and-tell. Uh, but I think you could get away with one Gristlebrand and one one Emrakul and then shared summons in your sideboard. Because that's how, that's how you oh, win. Okay. You just get okay. both of them. And so shared summon, get both of them. And you are playing Eladomri's Call because of Gaddick Teague? Yeah. And I saw Peter... Van, sorry, I can't remember the rest of his name. Peter Van der Ham. Yeah, make an argument that shared summons is probably better. And I was kind of on the fence after having that discussion with you. And so I'm, I think I'm leaning towards shared summons as well. For the same reason I just said, like, you play so many cantrips that, honestly, Pete, or, uh, Gattactic isn't, isn't the thing you're worried about. You're worried more about Thalia, like making it so you can't play your cantrips, not, not Gattactic so that you can't play um, shared summons out of your sideboard. Yeah, Shared Summons definitely has has a lot of upsides if you if you can make it work. Like if you're not facing Gardoctique, which given that's not the most common thing to face in Legacy, there's not too many decks to actually do play Gardoctique. It that maybe I'm just too in love with the elegance of being fully Gardoctique proof when, once you go off, but I gotta say, when I played Shard Summons, it, it, felt, it certainly felt really good, and I didn't really run into Gardoctique. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm I think I'm leaning to the summons as well. I think the upside of 
you know, we, we were just talking earlier about Carpenter Flowers being able to cast stuff. I can totally see in some fair matchups where you just, like, wish for shared summons, and because it's a single green and four colors, you could just cast it and get, like, two Ice Fan Coattles or something in, in a fair matchup. Like, I think that's a, a line that could come up pretty easily. And then some of Peter's reasoning was also it protects you from an edict because you can get the two creatures, obviously. I think it does have a lot of upsides in Teague just being the only downside. You could lose some number of games, but I don't think it'd be very many, really, as opposed to what Shared Summons brings. So yeah, I think I'm leaning to that, but it, it's close. They both have ups and downs. I think it's it's two green, right? Or, or maybe I misunderstood you. I think it costs shared it, summons. four colorless and one green. It's two green. I think it's three, three colorless. colorless and two green. But you can still you can still generate that. Yeah, you can still generate that if you have uh, capital flaws. Yeah. So you're saying this is another card that you can include if you want to fight the well, four color miracles, which I mean you don't even need the card to cast it right. That's the thing. So Eladamri's call costs a white mana, so you can't oh, cast it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean you can just wish for this and then cast it, which I think could actually come up. I agree. So maybe that's actually something. That, uh, see, you guys just changed my mind. <laughs> maybe I'm actually going to go back to that yeah. because a lot of people have asked me about that, and I'm like, oh no, no, you want to be able to beat Galactic, but. Yeah, that's that's actually something I, I didn't consider. There is a third option for this slot as well. You can play a um, intuition in the sideboard, which we were talking about earlier. And then you, to do that, you have to go up to three emeralds in the main deck, so that you can wish for the intuition, then the intuition for three emeralds. So it's like a, it's an Eladamri's call that can't get the Grizzlebrand, but if you're missing a combo PC that show until omniscience, you can wish for the intuition to get either one. So it's probably worse than both shared summons and Eladamri's call. But it gives you access to another tutor if you need to find a piece. So I'm not sure this is better than either one, but it's another option out there. Oh, I think you should play ball. I think you should always play intuition in your sideboard with with uh, Cunning Wish because you're often this deck doesn't play a lot of combo pieces, right? It plays four sh- show and tells and maybe one Eureka and and omniscience. Like you, you basically need show and tell and omniscience. So it's a two card combo. But you only play four copies of each. You play a lot of cantrips, but sometimes that's one of the biggest downsides of the deck is that you can't find one. But you have all these extra cunning wishes sometimes in those games where you're not able to find your actual combo card. And you can usually set it up over two turns where you cunning wish for intuition, intuition for show and tell. And you don't need three uh, Emrakuls for that because, like I said, your cantrips and the rest of your deck is usually almost always good enough once you have show and tell and omniscience. So you, you you put the sh- you put the omniscience in your sideboard as a six mana show and tell. Yeah, I guess you can also just like get two emeralds and the Grizzlebrand, and they have to give you one. Each one's probably going to win the game anyway. Yeah, or you can set yeah. up like uh, two drawn from dreams and an emerald, and it's like, yeah. are they going to give you yeah. emerald, or are they going to give you those drawn from dreams, and then the emerald shuffles back into your deck, and you're going to find you're going to find it. It's very off- It's very rare that you actually fizzle with. Even you just need like one cantrip, and you almost always get there. Yeah, it makes sense. I like the intuition in the sideboard. Yeah, I've been playing Fact of Fiction that slot because I also I agree that the deck wants some kind of well, I I, I, get, I guess I would call it like a business slot in the sideboard that that gets you something you want or gets you ahead in the game. Yeah, that for me that has been Fact of Fiction, which honestly hasn't been doing too much. I, I guess it got countered most of the time, which is something, <laughs> but. Overall, I haven't been too happy with my Cunning Wish package outside of just outright winning the game with it, which is why I've actually been discussing cutting down to two Cunning Wishes. I've been playing three initially. If we can manage to actually pull off the Intuition, like Intuition, of course, comes at a cost, right? It can be well of Summit. It's it's r- somewhat riskier post-board when people have Surgical Extraction. Uh, I, I guess if you go for three different cards, 
it's less devastating unless you're, you're looking for your show and lower missions and then they, they hit that out of your hand that's pretty bad that's of course the downside that makes me a little bit, little bit scared of running the intuition sideboard and for like how slow it is but i think it's worth maybe, trying maybe out just the way. like give it a go if it's too bad and too many spots then can move on but yeah it has it has a good i was gonna say yeah. that it's i was gonna say that it's probably like way too slow against for example delva but the thing is, against Delva, most of the time you can actually just put Emrakul or Grizzlebrand into play and it's going to win on its own. So it's actually easier to pull off the combo against them right. because they, they can't really do too much about those two cards. It's not If you're playing Wish, it's not too slow. It's in your sideboard, so it just gives you another angle of attack. If you have a Cunning Wish or you have two Cunning Wishes and you have a City of Traders, you just wish for Intuition and you set it up over two turns. It's game one. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty pretty good tool and like been a staple in in Omnitel since the beginning of Omnitel. And it, it, yeah, I just feel like if I do that against Dava, they, they will like immediately wasteland my city, and then I'm also like, having to play around days and stuff. It's Spending so much mana on stuff, I, I, I don't feel comfortable, but I'm definitely going to try it. I'm going to try the our Factor Fiction, which has, which has been so-and-so for me. Well, I mean, you're comparing it to Factor Fiction. That one costs four mana, so that's more mana, and it doesn't necessarily find you the, the show-and-tell that you need. Or the omniscience. Yeah, like I like I said, it's it, it, it's not something I think I can actually pull off in, in the diver matchup anyway. But yeah. maybe I can. But that's also part of the sideboard plan, I guess. We we got some pretty good sideboard tech against that deck. And last but not least, you already talked about it, Eureka. That's something you usually see like as a one-off in most of those list lists, and that's pretty much I would say your surgical extraction insurance in case something happens to your show and tell, uh, you can almost not win the game anymore. That's like Conor scenarios that involve Carpet of Flowers, but that, that's why people play that, right? I mean, I, I haven't been playing it, but I know Eric has been playing it. Yeah, I mean, when I first put the deck together, I just thought it was basically a free fifth show and tell, and it helps you protect you against surgical extraction, so I don't I don't see why... I mean, it's not great. It's four mana. But I think it's... Again, I think it's kind of free to have so that you don't just lose to Surgical Extraction. And I mean, you don't just lose to Surgical Extraction, but you kind of do. And if you have Eureka in your deck, then you definitely don't just lose to Surgical Extraction. I'm just not a fan of the card. I think it's just so... Like, I, I, at least for me, I always have Delva on my mind. No matter which deck I play, no matter where I am, I always think like, oh god, Delva is the big thing I need to beat. And... Eureka always feels like, oh god, it's like double green, which is already not the easiest to produce, and then it's also a four mana spell. I've been pretty recklessly playing and just accepting, accepting that I lose to Surgical Extraction, but if this deck picks up and people play more discard and Surgicals again, like Surgical is not very good against Hogak, right? And at least in the decks that I've played before, I actually cut some Surgical Extractions for decks for cards that are better against Hogak. Um, but yeah, this, this deck is struggling against discard plus surgical if you don't have to veil at the right moment I, I think i agree with you i like that approach you're right that like there's even been a trend in delver decks to move to Liliana the voids recently because of the hogak matchup so there's some less surgicals and part of playing a combo deck is knowing what you're going to beat and what you can beat consistently is if you can beat everything without too much cost in it then sure but like yeah i think if someone has like a thought season surgical if you show and tell those kind of decks are often going to be pretty good at like disrupting a Eureka at the same time, especially Delva. Like it's four mana. It's uh, my sample size, as we said earlier, is pretty small. I've only played the ten matches, but I shuffled away Eureka every single time I saw it yesterday. It it seemed <laughs> awful to me. So I would definitely want to cut this one copy. But with a, with a larger sample size, I could see 
having access to that one copy because of surgical come up a few times. I, that's just, a secondary as far as I'm concerned, the surgical thing. Primarily, yeah, it's just we're, we're now the like, Omnitel, like I said originally, wasn't really a I wasn't really a two color deck. Um, yeah. But now that we're playing Veil of Summer, it just it gives you that fifth show and tell. And like I said, really, if you play this deck a lot, you're gonna come to the, to realize that like one of the deck's main problems it's not matchups. Like we can talk more about matchups with Delver and things like that. But but really, it's finding show and tell and omniscience. It's finding the two card combo because you only play four of each. Whereas like Sneak and Show plays eight win condition or eight uh enablers and eight win conditions right and uh reanimator plays 12 uh enablers like 12 reanimate spells you know and a ton of ways to get them in the graveyard this deck plays four show and tells that's it so that ends up being a problem like yeah you play if you play even 12 cantrips you're still not going to find show and tell sometimes or show and tell plus omniscience yeah. yeah, I guess my... Thing, my thing for me is... Oh, sorry, go on, Julian. Yeah, so yeah, the thing for me is um, the, the matchup where I feel that is most relevant, where I can't find show and tell in time, is once again Delva. And I, I, would, I think I would actually side out Eureka against Delva. Just, may, maybe that's wrong. It's just I feel like my, my fetch patterns have to be very specific to be able to even cast Eureka in the first place. And I guess that also goes back to something that we will talk about later, which is the mana base. I know, Eric, you're playing for... Um, Lotus Petals, which definitely makes it much easier to to get through the two green for Eureka. Um, in in the build that oh, Caleb yeah, and I yeah, have been playing lately, I think it's yeah. I played really I played bit, your yeah. build and I put the Eureka in there, and I was like, this doesn't belong in the deck for sure. Or the mana base doesn't enable it doesn't allow you to cast uh, Eureka and Veil in the same like you just can't do that. <laughs> so the the mana definitely needs to be set up to cast Eureka if you're going to play Eureka. And I think yeah, I guess Lotus Petal probably helps a lot with that. Um, but then again, my lo- yeah. like my Lotus Petal build is, uh, I don't know. I played the Quaddle build and I didn't face Delver, so I don't really know. But this, yeah, my my build dev- definitely has a Delver weakness because for the reasons that you just mentioned. <laughs> uh, the thing is about Kotal, it's actually not that easy to get Death Touch um, against Delver in the very early turns because you don't. I, yeah, I guess you do fetch your your snow covered basic lands. I just noticed that when when I do want uh, the thing to the, the snake to have death touch, it didn't always have it right away, because sometimes you also don't want to crack a fetch land because you still have like a brainstorm or another cantrip, and <laughs> it I I like the the Kotal because overall it is like pretty good against Delva because it puts them into these weird spots where also after sideboarding they're like actually I kind of want to keep my my removal spells and it also draws a card so that's I guess let's talk about that right away that's a topic I had for later but we also talked about it on your stream the other day and I like how Kotal is basically more in the middle of the road like it's decent against Delva, and it's also not completely dead against like the decks that go really long because it cycles and that's the big deal to me i can i can cycle it for a card sometimes even like randomly buy a turn with it or or use it as utility because of the death touch of course it's more mana (laughs) it's much more mana intensive than lotus petal it's actually the opposite of of mana um, it's okay. That's the stupidest thing I've ever said on the podcast. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's two mana for a one-one that cantrips. But yeah, yeah. so the, the the games that I was impressed with it was when they had like Knight of the Reliquary. But I, 
again, I don't really care that much about Knight of the Reliquary. I care about Thalia, and it doesn't really do anything against Thalia. So, That's true. I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't look like a card that belongs in Omnitel to me, and I tried it, and, it, and it, I don't know. I'll have to try it some more. I had a pretty good experience with it yesterday. Like, it traded with a Delver, it traded with an Arcanist, it traded with a Dark Confident a couple of times. It In the matchups, it was bad. It just pitched a force. I had it against Eldrazi, where it traded with something. I don't know. It, it just felt like it's just something extra to do. It's like a, some more cantrips. Like on turn two, if you have nothing else to do, you throw it out there. Uh, if it's bad in the matchup, you just it's an easy pitch to force. I just felt like it kind of really felt pretty smooth in the deck. There was once or twice where it felt clunky. I had like two or three in hand. But then you just, I know the deck has so many cantrips, you shuffle them away. And when, once you get the combo going, it's just another card that cycles through cantrips more and stuff. I don't know. I had four in the list yesterday, and that was probably wrong. I think two or three is the right number. Four sounds excessive, yeah. yeah. I've been enjoying the card quite a bit, but mm-hmm. I also played like a couple of leagues with uh, Lotus Petal, and like it's not like Lotus Petal is something I would say is bad. I also like kind of enjoyed playing with Lotus Petal because it, it enables for some of the better turns where you you go for the combo and have protection when the opponent doesn't really expect you to have that at all, which worked out kind of well for me. I've seen JPA actually. Was it JPA? I don't know. It was Peter Vanderham, right, who suggested playing uh, Spirit Guide instead. I think that sounds so really you good can to me, actually. randomly uh, wail out of nowhere, yeah. which I, I kind of like. Yeah. Uh, Eric, how do you feel about Spirit Guide versus, versus Lotus Petal? Mm-hmm. Not even close. <laughs> I mean, you can cast Show and Tell off of Lotus Petal. You can't cast Show and Tell off of Elvish Spirit Guide. But you have lots of blue lands in the deck. Right, but you, but you also have City of Traders and Show and Tell. Like, yeah. Part of this is a combo deck, and it can win on turn one if you build it right. Yeah, but if you cast Show and Tell, you don't get to draw a card. Quattle draws a card. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, no, I, we're I, talking I about Elvish Spirit Guide versus Lotus Petal. Not, not <laughs> about Quattle, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm joking. I think they're pretty close. Like, they have, again, yeah, like, making Blue Man is probably quite important. But at the same time, like, Surprise Veil is going to come up quite a lot, I'm sure. And just, like, playing around days without it on board must come up a lot versus Delver. But if you have Lotus Petal, also plays around days, right? It's... But I mean, they, they, I mean, you're tr- still trading a card for a card. Uh, but but they like they play into it. I to think me, it, comes it sounds up, like, kind of like too cute. I mean, yes, maybe Elvish Spirit Guide can surprise people with a veil, but I mean, not if they know you're playing Elvish Spirit Guide, then it's not that big of a surprise, right? You can also cast Veil off of Lotus Petal. I guess you just can't do it on turn. That's one thing I have noticed though. Is like sometimes I'm on the draw and I really wish I I could Veil. Maybe we could just try like one of each. <laughs> well, actually, I think Eric is playing four Lotus uh, Petals in this deck right now, right? Yeah. So you ended up cutting uh, three Codals from from the... Well, I don't want to say standard list because it's very hard to like say this is the standard list, but for the more commonly played list. This deck goes way back, you know? It's not... It's not the, the, lo- the Coatles are new. So the Lotus Petal thing was like, this was sitting on my account from months ago. And I built the mana base with the Lotus Petals by looking at like really old... Omnitel decks and some of JPA's Eureka Tell decks, and I liked the Lotus Petals. I'm not 100 percent that they should be there, but I, I had some games yesterday with the Quadle version where I cast like Show and Tell or whatever, and then they answered my omniscience, and I had like a Gristlebrand, and I couldn't actually use the Gristlebrand to do anything because there's no Lotus Petals in the deck. But if you have Lotus Petals, you can you can draw into another combo with your crystal brand or whatever and that's actually really relevant if they're a combo deck or or whatever forever whatever reason that like crystal brand isn't good enough which is you know that's 
common enough that that's a real concern. So yeah, something I actually liked about the Lotus Petals the most was when I was able to cast turn 1-7 library against decks to play a lot of discard. And you're like, okay, do whatever you want. I'm going to see three cards and probably like draw most of them while you, you're not putting on a clock while you're busy like casting discard spells. And that's something I really liked. Uh, the seven library thus far, I think most people play like one copy, either in the main or on the sideboard. Sometimes you play a second copy. Uh, I've enjoyed the card, but it's also one of those cards, just like Impulse, where I feel like I'm not really sure I need this. Like you play Impulse for Firemind's Foresight, but most of the time I don't even like, basically Firemind's Foresight is just like a cunning wish that also happens to to give you a brainstorm while you're getting your Eladamri's Call. Or actually, if you have shared summons, I think you need the intuition, uh, the, the Impulse even less, right? Yeah, Impulse isn't bad though as well. I think it just adds a bit more... In this slot, you can also play a split decision, which is like a twin cast, which can also be... It used to be pretty good at fighting counter magic. I, whenever I played Omnitel, I had a split decision in the deck. But I think, yeah, I think you're right that you don't need this slot, but Impulse gives you enough with the uh, Five Minds Foresight lines, that, and it's just good enough on its own. It's not a bad card, really. Right, that's what I think. I've definitely thought and tried no Impulse on and off over the years. For the exact reason that you said, it's like, yeah, it works with Firemind's Foresight, but you don't actually need it. But it, I mean, we're playing, you're playing how many drawn from dreams? That card, I don't think you, personally, it didn't seem like I want to cast that card for four mana very often. Impulse is basically half of drawn from dreams at instant speed. So it, it's pretty good at finding your half of your combo um, on your opponent's turn. So I think it's pretty good, but it's definitely not needed for the Firemind's Foresight. Yeah. Now that you mentioned actually drawn from dreams, now that's uh, a card that I have certainly undervalued. Um, having played with Drawn from Dreams, I, I really, really like the cards. It, it just feels like it's another almost must-counter for all these these people who play control decks because they're like, hey, I'm going to counter all your relevant spells. But then they find themselves in positions where you're just like, you keep casting Drawn from Dreams and they're like, actually, I think I have to counter this. And then they have to spend a, a Red Elemental Blast on it that would have otherwise hit your, your uh, show and tell or something. And I, I've been really enjoying that card. I often side out the third copy, especially against Delver. But I kind of like how it does a pretty good stick-through-time impression, as in that it not only like helps you set up the combo, it also most of the time combos very well with Omniscience and often just wins you the game. And that's something I've been really enjoying. Uh, I, I loved it. Yeah, sorry. I loved the card yesterday. Really, really powerful. As you say, if you, you can just... Uh, it was like the extra creatures... It's like dig through time with the old Omni lists. You can just show and tell the Omni and then cast uh, the Drawn from Dreams and you'll... I didn't even come close to whiffing yesterday. Yeah, it's almost like a package with Carpet of Flowers in the blue matchups. Against Delver, the carpet was so powerful. I could cast... There was a turn where I had three lands and I just cast Drawn from Dreams to find Omni and show and tell and then cast that as well and just do it. So, like, the mana cost didn't feel that hard to cast, usually. And then, especially with carpet, it just kind of overpowers any of the mana from Delver and Miracles and whatever. So yeah, I was really impressed with it yesterday. For me, it's actually, this card's the main reason why I'm actually playing three Carpet of Flowers now. Like, I, I played for like two for a while, and I always wanted it. I often sometimes even wanted like just a second copy, and now I'm, I'm trying three. And maybe it's crazy to play four, but I'm, I've been enjoying three thus far. Three sounds good. Very, very good. So for for the rest of the deck, I guess the mana base, there's some contention on whether people should play Vista or more blue fetchlands. The thing to me was that the blue fetchlands felt, the, the non-misty blue fetchlands felt really bad. Uh, most people have like a flooded strand. It's just, to me, it feels 
so awkward when I have to fetch Tropical Island because I often say like this deck may never ever get wastelanded because it's really really mana hungry and I want to get as many basics as possible. The Vista is sometimes annoying if you want to like get your Mystic Sanctuary, which of course you can't. That's the the main downside of the card, I would say. It also sometimes like it sometimes creates weird play patterns where you fetch your basic forest, then that's not a blue source for Drawn from Dreams, so you can't actually like Drawn from Dreams on turn three or four, and that's an issue. But overall, I really like the all basic mana base, with the, like the sing- single tropical that you can fetch every now and then. Eric, is that something you've been doing as well? I think you played more tropicals at least last time when I watched your stream. Well, again, I was looking back at my old list from like a few months ago, and, and that's one of the things that I was most impressed with the changes in the, in the recent weeks is the mana base is way better. My, mine was a complete mess. I had like five soul lands and three basics, no snow basics, <laughs> three basics <laughs> and four tropical islands. So today, based on your list and, and what other people have been doing recently, I'm really impressed with the Mystic Sanctuary. So I added a Mystic Sanctuary and a mana base that can support it. And I actually really like the mana base I'm looking at right now. And it's just two City of Traders. I liked that. So I don't think we need five soul lands to still have like nut draws with Lotus Petal. Like Lotus Petal, you don't need to turn one people with Lotus Petal. Turn two is also pretty good. And Lotus Petal also just helps you cast Veil the same turn. You know, just, it's just everything's just a turn sooner, but you don't need a whole bunch of soul lands for that to be good. So I went down to two City of Traders, and then I got four fetches, or eight, sorry, eight fetches, three Tropical Islands, four basic islands and one forest snow covered not that that matters (laughs) yeah i guess it makes a lot of sense if you're playing if you're playing the uh, four lotus petals then i certainly also wouldn't play two forests like even in this in the build that caleb and i have been playing the second forest at least to me felt problematic at times for the the exact reason that you mentioned that's turning on mystic sanctuary that's something whenever i play a basic forest i'm very well aware that i'm very far away from mystic sanctuary this mana base feels pretty good it's like you're playing eight fetches you really only have to fetch up your your tropical islands when you... It's nice to have them for when you know you're not playing against the Wasteland deck and when you're in a position where you're going to need that color, the other color for the following turn. So I like the tropical islands, but and I think five basics still makes it so that it's quite likely you're not going to have a Wasteland problem with the deck. So I think this mana base is pretty pretty solid. So you're, you're also playing 19 lands altogether. I think that's the most standardish thing. Yeah, that's 19 lands. Is that 19 and then the petals as well? Yeah, 19 and four petals. Yeah, because I think, Julian, we're probably quite low on mana sources. I, I, yeah, yeah, we certainly are. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's part of why Diver is like yeah. somewhat problematic. Maybe we should actually add like a land or maybe two or even go full Lotus Petal. I, I, I was thinking to add like two more mana sources, like see the two Elvish Spirit Guides. So this is why I joked about one petal or one Elvish Spirit Guide earlier about being the perfect number. So no- ah, okay, so as an addition to what we are So like 19 right lands plus one spirit guide, one lotus petal, just to add a bit more bit more speed, because I think the speed is important. A few times it felt a bit slow and clunky, and just like a little burst is what was needed. But, yeah. but because of the color... Especially if you miss like a land drop, right? Yeah, it was quite punishing. And the, and the color commitments of the quattles, which I do think are worth keeping as a two or three of, but you can't play like more um, soul lands and stuff. Two city felt perfect there. But at the same time, the sanctuary has felt obscenely powerful. Like the the lines of play it gives you is so strong. So I think that's worth supporting. And so um, yeah, you want to keep the blue count high. I'm not sure what to think about the Vista versus 
all other blue fetches. I think I slightly lean to Vista, but I'd need to play more to see properly. Yeah, it's, it's not something I feel very strongly about. It's more like I, I hate when I have to fetch a tropical island, and sometimes the the non-misty rainforest dictate having to do that. Yeah. That goes back to me like being like in the morning when I wake up, I'm concerned about Diver. When I go to work, I'm concerned about Diver. <laughs> I'm always concerned about Diver, <laughs> uh. even when I'm playing it. <laughs> but yeah, in speaking of matchups, uh, let, let's actually talk about the good matchups. I felt that Four Car Americas has been insanely good of a matchup. Yeah, and makes sense. That's I mean, we, we talked about how the sideboard facilitates that. Facilita- I can't speak. That you 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 catch my drift. Yeah. Um, the deck doesn't really do all too much, and you have so many things that to really just overpower it. And once you bring Carpet of Flowers into the mix, I think we, we talked about it earlier, yeah. how we've been hardcasting Grizzlebrands. And the other day I was actually, I was hardcasting Grizzlebrand into Omniscience, into Omniscience, and that's even before I ever cast like my first show and tell. And they just have to fight so hard. And it's also kind of funny how they can neither Flusterstorm nor Pyroblast your your Grizzlebrand, so they really have to go for right, an actual Fossil yeah. on that. It's so much fun. Like I, I want to see, I want to see the first person to actually hardcast Emrakul. So <laughs> I'm, that's I'm sure be it can come cool. up pretty easily with like a double carpet. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Other decks, like I think it's pretty good against Hogak. I guess that's also why you picked it up for the challenge you mentioned. Yeah. I think it's also like decent against A and T, aren't? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's I think the Epic Storm, like the new Epic Storm, is a little bit harder um, because Ant is like quite a bit slower than the new Epic Storm. I think Ant's but... pretty better because we have four veils as well, right? Yeah, that's the big thing. Veil right? is much better against Ant than it is against TES. Yeah. It, it also has worked out pretty well for me against like a lot of Chalice decks. Uh, it, it sucks if they go turn one Chalice and you kept a hand with like a ton of cantrips. But then even there, there's a couple of like draws where you just randomly put a creature into play and, and just win. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's some, like I, I actually found myself letting Chalices resolve when I had Force of Fill because I felt like actually the card I want to force is Thought Not Sea or something. This happened so, except in the top eight yesterday. I played against uh, Moonstompy for the win in actually. And I lost game one to a, a turn one Chalice because I had a Cantrip hand. I didn't know what they were on. But game two and three, I mulliganed Cantrip heavy hands down to just a mulligan to five in one of the games and six into another because I just like went searching for show and tell. And then kept them and yeah, played show until turn three basically. They 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 chalice and blood moon or whatever, but it didn't matter. And that's already a pretty huge part of the meta game, right? Um having something like Cunning Wish here also like much better against something like Death and Texas, which used to be the bane of all the show and tell decks, but now that we have omniscience and I guess, I guess it's been around like Eric mentioned ever since I think it made the first big splash in 2012 when, when people started playing that. Pre-Dig Through Time. It became the best deck when Dig Through Time came out. It was like the best deck in the in the meta, but it was serious contender before Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time were printed. So yeah, like 2012, that sounds about right. And this, this list is almost exactly like those lists, except for it's a little bit leaner. Uh, that, that Those lists played like, um, what's that five drop enchantment called? Dream Halls. Dream Halls. Yeah, Dream Halls. And um, and I want to say it was four Emeralds or something. No, no it's Conflux uh, as the kill. Conflux, okay. Oh yeah, but that was the dedicated Dreamhorse yeah. thing. That that was even before Addictor Time was around. That yeah. was like 2011, 12. Yeah, yeah. That that was like or 10 even sometimes. Yeah, Dictor Time was when it that was, was quite good. a long time ago. Uh, yeah, but the rest of the deck is almost exactly exactly like the original Omnitel. 
which is yeah, and that's why it's so appealing, right? Because we all remember how powerful that deck was, and like people even played Young Pyromancer just to have something in the sideboard. Yeah, and a friend of mine even played Word of Command. If you don't know what that does, look it up. It's it's hilarious because you get to play your opponent's show and tell, and then decide that they put in nothing. It's it's an insane <laughs> card that you can even cunning wish for. <laughs> that's sweet. I love that card. Yeah, yeah, but. We mentioned Delvas already, um, kind of a difficult matchup. Why don't we actually go straight to talking about what we are doing against Delva? And to me, that has been the big thing. That's Carpenter Flowers, which we have talked about a lot. But I see that Peter, for example, also has been playing two uh, defense grids, I think. Uh, Caleb, you also played those yesterday. Have those been working out for you? So I played against Delva twice. This is all my experience. The first match I got, like... I got stifled and wastelanded, and I just didn't really get to do very much. But the second time, I played against Grixis, and I had a uh, game one. I think I had just like a kind of a pretty good typical show and tell hand. I cantrip the first three turns, and then turn four or five or so, I got to like play a veil, that AV counter spell, and then I'd like neck pass the next turn. I was at four life or whatever, and I got to sequence more things and have more force of wills and do the usual stuff. So I had like I used all my resources to get the omniscience into play, and the last card was a drawn from dreams, which let me go off. But the yeah, the, the post ball game was the important one where I had a turn one carpet, and then a few turns later that helped me resolve a defense grid three things, and then the mana from the carpet I got thought seized a bunch, but then Mystic Sanctuary let me rebuy drawn from dreams, which I could cast with the mana from carpet after being wastelanded and stuff. <laughs> and oh man that sounds amazing yeah the, the the whole deck just kind of used all these engine pieces together so the sanctuary for the drawn from dreams the draw from dreams with the carpet and the defense grid to shut them off so yeah and then that found the combo i think i already had grizzlebrand in hand or whatever and yeah so that was where the deck it worked and i needed both i the carpet was essential i no way i would win the game without it the defense grid made them just play proactively like they played out threats but uh it was hard to tell what it did, but they had two or three cards left in their hand at the end, so it could they could have been Force Will and they couldn't cast it. Yeah, when, de- when defense grid works, you, you, you don't really see it doing work because the opponent just does nothing. Yeah. You're like, oh, you could be sitting on two lands and my defense grid could do nothing, but it, it's certainly like a card that really works well with the plan. Yeah, absolutely. Both games I had a quattle. In game one, it, uh, my opponent attacked with a Delver that didn't flip on turn two, and I got to throw in a snake and trade with it which I was very surprised there was no days, no bolt, whatever, but that bought me all the time. And then game two, I had a snake down and they had an arcanist, but it had death touch, so they didn't attack for a few turns and it didn't accrue value. So yeah, snake was pretty key. Eric, is there anything else that you, you have on mind or that you have tried to for the Delver matchup to make it better? Not really. I mean, I've I've just only played one league with the Coatl version and now one back to the uh, Lotus Petal version with a better mana base based on what people have been doing recently and uh, I, I don't really know I guess that's the big question about Quattles does it help the Delver matchup that much and is it good enough in other matchups to to replace faster faster mana I'm not really sure but uh, obviously I think I agree with you guys about Carpet Flowers is pretty key I mean that card that card's really hard I mean, if you resolve Carpet of Flowers that's 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 how you beat Delver <laughs> yeah I agree that's why I think I like the idea of Julian's third a lot. Yeah, I like it's, that idea it's too. It's completely key. Uh, other cards in the sideboard that people play a lot is usually two cages. Um, it's like you probably want something against Hogak because Hogak can, can be pretty fast and then they're going to 
bury you under cable therapies and stuff. And I, I kind of like how it not only stops the creatures, but it also stops the flashback of cable therapy. And I guess there's like a couple other combo decks. Like you, you can bring it in against Reanimator, which I could see being like a problematic matchup at times. And th that's pretty much it. Like the rest is filled with, well, for me at least, bounce spells and then some random cards that I'm trying. Uh, and of course, oh yeah, that, that's actually something we should talk about. Do you guys think the entreat the uh, entreat the ants <laughs> release the ants kill <laughs> is necessary? Because I gotta say I got it in my deck because it's it provides an out against a ton of stuff that could be going wrong and, and it technically can also allow you to win at instant speed, even though that's actually harder to set up than I initially thought it would be. But I also gotta say I think I played something like 50, 55 matches with the deck thus far and. I think I've never killed with it. Maybe I killed with it once, um, and the opponent immediately conceded, so I don't remember it. Uh, but I think I've never killed with it. And I've been, I don't know, I, I, I want it in my sideboard, but I, it could be an extra slot for something else. Uh, how have you guys been feeling about that? It feels unnecessary to me as well, I agree. Like, um, I did used to play the Omnitel, like, with Dick Through Time back in the day, and even then, it just didn't come that much. But I think you need to have some slot for when someone puts in a Flicker Wisp or a Knight of the Autumn or like maybe a Thought Knots here. Like these effects can really screw you over when you're going for the Omniscience plans. So I think you could just replace the uh, the Release the Ants with a Trick Bind or like a, what's it called? There's a new counter spell that counters a spell or an activate a trigger ability. Like disallow, I think. Disallow, yeah. yeah. So I think, you, I think these do functionally they're different but they do a similar thing. So you want to be able to counter Flickerwiss is probably the most common. So you want something for that. I think I'm actually going to just go for it. I'm going to cut it and play. Like, I already played Trickbind. And maybe that's uh, that's just like an extra slot that I don't need then. Uh, Eric, how do you feel about about the ants? What you can do with Trickbind, just very quickly, is in the matchups where they have Flickerwisp or Night of Autumn, is you side it in. So with the Wish, you can get 5 minus Foresight, and then you 5 minus Foresight for Brainstorm, Trickbind, and Cunning Wish. So then you can Cunning Wish for the Shared Summons, and you trick bind as well. Okay, okay. So I think you, so I think the trick bind is pretty good. So you side it in against these ETB creature matchups. You know, even though it sounds weird, but yeah. Yeah, but actually I kinda like that. Yeah. It gives you another thing that you can get for a two drop. Yeah. Eric, how, how do you I think we talked about it on your stream and I think you were in favor of keeping it. Uh, do you still feel the same about that? Well, so I'm thinking, I, it's something I've cut from time to time over the years, and I always end up putting it back because you end up losing matches where you would have needed it. But I'm trying to think of exactly what those matches were, and if the Gristlebrand actually changes that, because it didn't used to play Gristlebrand. And I think maybe Gristlebrand changes that. So all those things you mentioned, uh, ETB effects, you can beat with the with other spells on the sideboard. But there are certain things like Meddling Mage or whatever that you, you can't beat without Release the Ants. And those are, like, they can put in Show and Tell and, and name Emrakul, and then you can't win. Uh, you Show and Tell in Omniscience, and, and they name Emrakul off their Meddling Mage, and then you can't win. But then you can just wish for a Bounce Spell, right? You can go for Firemind's Farsight, get a Bounce Spell, yeah. and... Yeah, I can't uh, remember yeah, exactly the summons, situations, but like I said, there there were situations where it's like, oh, I don't have this card. This is the card yeah. I would have needed. Uh, it's also very good in the mirror, and uh, you're going to be uh, unfavored if your opponent has it and you don't. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, something that for me that came up in the mirror was actually Wipe Away. Um, I've been talking about that card a lot lately. Uh, that, that card has been insane for me in the mirror. 
even when your opponent like puts in show and tell uh, omniscience and they think that they got it you you can sometimes still like just steal the win by by going wipe away on their on their omniscience and then like trick binding the uh, the emra cool trigger it's, it's kind of <laughs> hilarious actually <laughs> but yeah i think i'm also gonna gonna cut it until i i learn better and just like eric put it back again um when he experienced that but yeah i think i'm gonna go without for now and, and see how that works for me Regarding the bounce spells, I think to me the biggest thing about the bounce spells has been when I side out my whales in matchups where it's pretty much dead, I, I always feel like, dude, I, I don't really have a lot of things to actually bring in, so I randomly bring in bounce spells because conveniently most of those matchups where whale is dead, you actually want extra bounce. So ideally I would say you, you have like almost like five bounce spells, so you can bring in like four or three to four um, from the sideboard and then have one more in the side, in, in the side part to get with the bush. Uh, if you play something like, for example, Sylvan Library, then I guess you can bring that in and only bring in like three bounce spells. But that's the most common scenario for me. And people play uh, all different sorts of bounce spells. They play Echoing Truth, they play Rushing River, they play Wipe Away, Submerge. And all of those have their uses, their upsides, downsides. Um, for me, I'm on Echoing Truth, Rushing River, Wipe Away right now. I don't play the Submerge anymore. I guess it, it, it used to be there to to do, have something against Hogark to wish for, but it felt a little bit too niche for I me, so for, I'd rather use the slot. It's for Mercy for Depths, right? I would assume. Uh, did I say Hogark? Yeah. Sorry, I, I, so yeah, yeah, I meant my okay, cool. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not Hogark, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, I, I think you're completely right, but I think you want five cards that are okay like bounce spells or like cards that are okay against fair um yesterday i just had four i had an echoing truth a submerge a return to nature or return the one that kills an enchantment artifact or removes a card but basically i was missing one card to bring in against uh, non-veil matchups so i had like submerging against eldrazi which is a bit embarrassing but <laughs> it, it was blue and you can cast it maybe so technically yeah, yeah. but but i think i Echoing Truth seems just great to me, so I'd almost want like two or three of those. So you can always leave, you always want to leave one on the sideboard, and it's the most like uh, easy to fetch, cheapest, versatile. And versatile and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're right that you want five of this kind of effect. I also found myself wanting a kind of pyroclasm effect. I don't know what's available in blue and green. Like, well, that's kind of rough. Yeah, right? uh, maybe there must be like a. I guess in green uh, and blue you you have hibernation, but yeah. that only bounces green creatures. Or you have ev evacuation for five mana, which <laughs> bounces all creatures. Yeah, I mean if you have omniscience in play, you can get like well the K returns and stuff. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I wanted something, but maybe there's some weird card out there that just bounces everything. Yeah, but. I think that especially the sideboard outside of the the more obvious cards is the thing where I feel the most work and edge can still be achieved. Uh, by just optimizing that. For example, I also pl like playing a single extended swarm because it makes sideboarding really awkward for the opponent, especially if they play something like Miracles. Um, I guess they can keep the Oko and and then Oko the extended swarm. But overall, I, I kind of like how having just one centered swarm in a deck that has a very hard to disrupt kill makes sideboarding really awkward for the opponent because they they they're like in between a rock and a hard place, especially if they play sorts of plowshares, which is like. A very very bad card against the deck. Otherwise, that that's something I like. I don't I think I don't like playing more of those. I think uh, a lot of guys also do the same in the Epic Storm, where they play one cent swarm for that exact same reason. So that's something I enjoy. And then there's people 
playing Mindbreak Trap. Do you guys like Mindbreak Trap? Mm, I think like you can play Mindbreak Trap or like I had a Force of Negation just copied from either you or Peter, or you can play a Flusterstorm. They kind of all just the yeah, some piece of counter magic seems good. Mindbreak Trap's probably better because of Veil of Summer from other combo decks. So I can see it. Uh, yeah, it's it's nice to have some counter magic to wish for. I think Mindbreak Trap might actually be the best out of the options of Force Negation and Flusterstorm. Because Flusterstorm again like gets beaten by Veil, as does Force of Negation. Um, and they're both better against the, I guess, Delver kind of, not against Delver with Force Negation, but like Control. But uh, Mindbreak Trap's pretty better against the harder matchups of other combo decks. So, yeah, it seems okay to me. If you have the slot, I'm not sure it's like completely essential to have something like that there. You could also play a, the fourth Veil in the sideboard, but it's kind of slow. Yeah, I'd rather have it in the main, yeah. I think. Yeah, my, the, that's where I started out, actually, was three main, one in the sideboard. It was so good that I was like, we gotta, we'll, we'll just, we're putting the fourth Veil in the main and putting a <laughs> yeah, Flusterstorm there, sense. but I think, I think that you're right, that Mindbreak Trap is probably a better option than Flusterstorm is that sideboard slot. Yeah. You play Cryptic Command. I also really like Disallow as your as your Stifle rather than the Split Second one because um, the Split Second doesn't matter all that much because basically yeah. works against uh, counter magic, but they just counter your wish usually. And so Disallow is kind of cool because it's a three mana counter spell that you can side in in place of the veils for some matchups, and it also is a counter spell that you can get with it's counter spell or a Stifle, so that's kind of cool. I think being the two mana for being able to fire mine's foresight for it is quite relevant though. And it's, it's another one of these little, little weird permutations where there's both have ups and downs and yeah. it's just going to matter in just all corner casey things in different matchups. So I guess that's our thoughts on what I've been calling the hottest tech in Legacy right now. It certainly puts up quite a lot of numbers. I think somebody also got a top 16 challenge with it and somebody else was playing it to a top 32 finish. And there's, yeah... There's a lot of potential in the deck, especially, uh, I think, in the sideboarding. Uh, you could tell, like, we, we are not very sure about the last five to six slots in the sideboard. There's a lot of things that you can do with that. I'm really looking forward to playing a lot more of this deck. If you want to see the deck in action, you can see it on Eric's stream. I also have two leaks with it up on my YouTube that you can find on it's julian.com. So definitely give it a try. Pick your cards that you like for the different slots that we mentioned that people are experimenting with. And let us know how the deck has been performing for you. Caleb, is there anything else, Eric, you, you want to add? I'm good. Yeah, that's pretty pretty in-depth discussion on, on Omnidel. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I tried yeah. it. Guys, if you, uh, people listening, if you like our discussion, like in-depth discussion <laughs> of hot new decks, let us know. Let us know in the comments. Let us know on Reddit. Let us know on iTunes as well. So if you want to support our podcast and if you want to help more people discover Everyday Channel, Definitely head over to iTunes, and if you can and you enjoy the podcast, leave us a five-star review. That would be amazing. I noticed we we got a lot of them already, I think over 20 by now. So if you want to join the people who are supporting us there, definitely do that. If you want to tra- support us in other ways, if you want to go to patreon.com slash channel and become one of our patrons, you can do that. Just like Styan Ostream. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced your name. Uh, he became our latest Patreon right now, and we already have, like we have a really really big great community. So you can also join our Discord. You can answer a lot of que- uh, answer, but you can also answer questions there. You can also ask questions there. So if you have got, uh, got those, then definitely check us out there. And 
Speaking of the really big community, we have uh, several people who are supporting us on our highest tiers, on our Eternal Witness and Grizzlebrand tiers, which are Matt Nimes, Valerio, James Slack, Bachu Bud, Scott Monroe, Kursh Ali Sade, and Jeremy Gates. So thank you so much for making all of this possible, allowing us to not only record, but also produce this and put it out. And usually... With only a couple of days delay, like I'm, I'm going to the trade for tomorrow. I'm editing this on the train, so it should be out on Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> I guess people will, will know by, by when they're listening to it, whether it's out on Wednesday or not. But yeah, seriously, people, thank you so much for that. Caleb, Eric, thank you so much for making the time today uh, to to like discuss the stack in depth. And looking forward to seeing what we'll all be able to do with it in the, in the weeks to come. There's, and also, Caleb, best of luck in... Brussels. Thank you very much. You'll uh, see the winning photo of me holding up a big trophy. I hope. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <I'll try. laughs> awesome. Looking forward to that. Cool. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. So thanks a lot. Bye bye. See you guys. Have a great bye. week. Bye.